The nations rage, I know my God is in control. 
with my soul, with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part. message to you today based on a story that found in John chapter 2. It is a story about the first miracle of Jesus. All right, let's just pretend we're in a children's Sunday school class and I'm asking you, what is the first miracle of Jesus? Water into wine. Uh, Mark Lowry. How many of y'all know Mark Lowry? He used to sing with the Gaither Vocal Band, and he is a, he is a character. He put a picture on uh, Facebook some years ago, and he's in a grocery store, and he is on the aisle that says water, and the shelves are filled with wine. And Mark Lowry said, well, obviously Jesus just walked down this aisle. So John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, so it may be a little different than the one you have in front of you, but it's, it, it renders it well, I think. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. All right, let's just pause for, for a second. This gives some of us, how many of y'all have been there? Raise your hand. Yeah, we've been there, haven't we? 
<laughs> and we saw those big old jars. There was a, a wedding there, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples also were invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Now, guys, gals, can you hear your mama saying that? It was not, it, it was not just giving him information. It was telling him, boy, it's time for you to do something. There's no more wine. And Jesus said, dear woman, that's not our problem. My time, my time has not yet come. But then his mother turned to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. Now, I, I can't get away from the dynamic of this, y'all, because I know how my mama was. I don't know how your mama was or is, but Jesus says, to, after she says, they don't have any more wine. And the, the intonation of her voice was, what are you going to do about it, right? And he says, dear woman, our time has not yet come. There's, there's nothing we can do about it. She, no more words with Jesus. She just turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. In other words, you go do something. Do whatever he tells you to do. All right, enough of that. Standing nearby, there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, now, now get this, filling the jars with water was labor intensive because they had to go to the water source and come back with pitchers or pails. And these, these stone vessels were not of a size that they could just pick up and carry and fill up with water and carry back. So we're talking about back and forth, back and forth. It reminds me of my first missionary trip to Haiti and we were rebuilding a church, uh, a concrete block church that had been destroyed by a tropical storm at the top of a mountain. And and the water was from a river which was way down a trail. And those Haitians, children and women in particular, carried five-gallon buckets on their heads and they would go down to the river and they would get a bucket of water and they would come back and pour it in the 55-gallon drum that we were taking water from to mix concrete, to mix the mortar that we were using to lay the block. Now think about that. It was not a water hose, let's fill this, this barrel up, They back and forth. And I'm talking about five-year-old kids carrying five-gallon buckets on their heads along with, with older children and with the women who were there in that village never complained a minute about doing that. And so that's the image I have in my mind as they fill these water jars. They're back and forth with what vessels they could carry, and they're pouring water into these stone jars that'll hold 20 to 30 gallons. And so they fill them up. And Jesus says, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray 
that you will breathe on this Bible story, that you will bring it to our lives in such a way that we might understand who Jesus is and that we might trust him perhaps more than we ever have before when we consider the, the details that are a part of this happening. Lord, I just pray that, that whoever has a need this morning, that we will find what we need in Jesus, that we'll open our hearts to him, that he might come and bless us as only your son can bless us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I've never made wine. Are you glad that your preacher has never made wine? I've never made wine, but people make wine. And um, I don't know anything about it. So I'm thinking about what happened here. I'm thinking about how miraculous it is that water is turned into wine. But I just want to know, uh, what, how long does it take to make the wine, the, the amount of wine that, that was made here, if you, if you follow uh, the methods that, that we would have to follow, because I guarantee you, if I fill up a jar with water, no matter how I try to make it into wine, I will not be able to make it into wine. But Jesus did that, and that's powerful. And that speaks to us about the fact that, that our God is a God who brings something into existence uh, from nothing, so to speak. And, and so Jesus does a miraculous thing here. So I Googled it. I Googled it. How you make wine? How, how many grapes would it take to make 30 gallons of wine? So I typed that in there, and, and I kind of ran the gamut, you know, and looked at all the different entries, and I kind of picked the middle of the road. And so this one said it would take roughly 400 pounds of grapes to make 30 gallons of wine, okay? 400 pounds of, of grapes. Now, you can't just put the grapes in the, in the jar. You have, to, you have to smash the grapes. And I have images of Lucille Ball in the vat, walking around on those grapes, you know. And, and so you have to smash the grapes. You have to get the juices flowing and, and in order to, to have what you need to make wine. 400 pounds of grapes just to make one 30-gallon batch. It takes a minimum, now a minimum, of one month for wine to ferment, according to what I read. You can take less time, you could leave it in the bottle longer, and the longer it stays there, uh, they say the better it gets. Um, I remember one time I went to the Japanese restaurant. We go to the Japanese restaurant way too much. They don't even bring us menus anymore. Uh, but I went, we went one Christmas, and it was when Miyabi was in the mall at Columbiana. And so Becky and I are leaving. We were by ourselves and, and made new friends at the table of eight. And so we're leaving, and the place is packed. And as we're leaving, walking, getting ready to walk out the door into the parking lot, the manager, who was the manager at that time, said, Mr. Bauer, Mr. Bauer, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't go, don't go. And he goes back in the back, and he comes running out with a bottle of plum wine, and he said, Merry Christmas. And I looked around to see if any of y'all were there. So I brought that plum wine home, and we're, Becky and I, we are not partakers uh, of alcoholic beverages, so I put the wine up in the cabinet, and it stayed there forever. I mean, it stayed there, and it stayed there, and I don't know what came over me, um, but I said, Beck, we, I, you want to take a taste? No, I'm not going to taste it. I said, I'm, I'm going to open up and take a taste. I'm going to see what it's like. I mean, it had been up there for a while. They say the longer it ages, the better it is. 
whew, I took a drink of that stuff, and I'm going to tell you the truth. If that was better, <laughs> I would hate to have opened it the night we got home, okay? But this article said a month minimum for, for you to have, you know, good fermentation and end up with wine. So I, you know, here we go. I did the math. Um, I'm sorry, a month is a minimum. The best is six months. So let's go to the six month. Let's have the best wine. Because the, the, the bride, the, the, the host of the wedding reception said, wow, you brought out the best wine at, at the end of the party, which is very unusual. So this is really good quality stuff that Jesus spoke into existence. Would you expect anything less? So six months. All right, six times 30 gallons, remember that from before, 180 gallons of wine would have taken 2,400 pounds, over two ton grapes, fermenting for six months to end up with the product like what they ended up with. Why am I sharing all that? Because I'm going to tell you all, when Jesus does something, he does it right, and he does it in a moment. I mean, this is, this is miraculous. Fill the water jars. They fill the water jars. Dip it out and take it to the host. They take it to the host, and the host is like, oh, my goodness, this is the good stuff. I want to say something that I've said a number of times through the years of my ministry. God does all things well. And there is nothing that our God cannot do. When I look at this story, not only the, the particulars about what it takes to make a good batch of wine, and Jesus did it in a moment while the party's going on, I, read, I look in between the lines of what's happening and I see the social dynamics that are involved as well, not just the miraculous creation of wine from just ordinary water, that came out of someone's well. But I think about, because his mother cared about her friends and that they were hosting this party and it would be a great embarrassment in this culture to run out of wine. It would, it would have been a, a terrible thing for them to run out of provisions for the reception. And Mary cared about that. Now, she could have just walked away and said, wow, I, w I certainly would have made more provision than they made. But no, she involved herself in it. Because she cared about her friends and because she could not bear the thought of them facing that kind of embarrassment, she turned to Jesus because she knew that Jesus was able to do something. So it begins with a, a lady who cared about her friends, and then it continues with a mama turning to her boy because she has come to realize some things about him that maybe she didn't understand completely in the very beginning. But she knows now that this man who has begun his public ministry, that if he wanted to, he could take care of what was lacking in this moment. I, I don't know how she thought it would happen, but you know what? I think sometimes we worry ourselves too much with how things are going to happen rather than just trusting God to reach in and do what is beyond our explanation. But because she was willing and because Jesus became willing to become involved and was able to do what needed to be done, there was wine.
for the continuation of that wedding reception. But also, Jesus not only wanted to honor his mother's request. For him, it, the timing was not exactly right. But as he involved himself in this, in this opportunity, another thing that came to play in Jesus' mind is he not only wanted the guests to have wine because his mama wanted them to have wine, but he wanted his disciples to begin to understand just who it was they were rubbing shoulders with who he really was. This was not just a prophet. Jesus was not just a rabbi. Jesus was not just a good man who had taught them things about the kingdom that they had never seen before. But now Jesus was going to show them, I don't just know about the Father. I am one with the Father. I'm not just the Son of God. I am God the Son. I am a person in the Holy Trinity. And now was an opportunity for them to have the blinders removed a little bit. This was going to be the very first time that they saw an unexplainable miracle take place in their witness. And Jesus knew this was an opportunity to take them to another level in following him, in trusting him. He wanted them to know, not only is God able, but God really cares. I mean, God, God cares about the big things. But God here even cares about them having enough wine for a wedding reception. Come on. Anything is possible for the one who does what he directs them to do. Mary understood that if they would, if these servants would, would just do whatever he required of them, then he would do what they could not possibly do. There's just some things only God can do, but there's some things God just wants us to do. And it's in becoming a part of the drama of what God is up to that our lives become worth the living. Because when you have a hand in something miraculous happening in someone's life, you'll never forget that. You'll remember the time you prayed with that person. And they said, there's no way she'll come out of the hospital. And she came out stronger than before because of God's touch upon her life. Again and again, God involves us that we may, may be a part of the eternal, miraculous things that he is doing for the sake of those he loves. He wants us to know who he is so that we'll trust him in the middle of all things, whether it's a stormy sea, a crippled man, a leper, a blind man, a dead girl whose parents are wrought because of her untimely death, and he raises her back to life. There's nothing that God cannot do. And it all begins with some servants gathering water. Isn't that amazing? It all be... No, wait a minute, no. It begins with a mother who cares about her friends and believes God is in the room. Now, whether or not you believe God is in this room 
makes all the difference in the world when it comes to Sunday morning church. I'm telling you. If you think we're just here to rehearse the stories that are to be told about God and his son and the people who followed him in those early days, if, if you think this is just storytelling time, then that's one level. But if we really believe that the Jesus who was at this wedding in Cana of Galilee is the Jesus who's here in the sanctuary at First Church of God in Sumter, South Carolina this morning, look at the implications. The story tells us he cares about every little thing that's happening in our lives. The story tells us if, that, if we will become players in helping someone else to receive the blessing that God is wanting to bring to their lives, then our lives will be changed as well. If, imagine how those servants felt when the wine came out of those vessels and they knew they were the ones that put the water in the jars and nothing else was put in those jars. Jesus said, now dip it out and take it to the, to the host of, of the wedding. They knew what had happened. And when you and I become involved in the process of the miracles being wrought that God would bring to pass in the lives of people, we know that the miraculous has happened. This message comes to a very simple place, but a very important, profound place for all of us. The scripture says, because of what happened, the very last line in this passage, the portion that I read, verse 11, it says, and his disciples believed in him. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the miraculous things he has done, but do you believe in the miraculous things he can do? Is there something in your life this morning that needs an answer and the, the answer that you need is a miracle? If we would dare to believe in Jesus, it could change our lives. If we believe in Jesus, it will change our lives. For those of you who are in my company, which is to say we've been following him for decades, those who have been following for any length of time, you can look back at your life and you can say, oh, there his hand was on me. Uh, I, know God, I know God did that now. I didn't know what was happening in the moment, but God was in that. And you can look back and see his fingerprints all over your life, all, all the way through to where you are now. Let me say to my brothers and sisters who are new in the faith, don't ever lose your awe of who he is and your faith in what he is able to do. There are things that God will do in all of our lives that go beyond what we can explain. But if we would dare to lay our lives before him again this morning, whatever it is that we bring with us, the Jesus who turned water into wine can turn your mess into a testimony. And that's the truth. But somebody has got to fill the jars with water. Do what he tells you to do. 
Do whatever he tells you to do is what she said. Do whatever he tells you to do. You know, sometimes we don't have such a hard time doing the more involved things that he lays upon our hearts. Sometimes it's the simple things we have difficulty with. Oh, come on, Lord, really? Do whatever he tells you to do. And watch what happens next. It'll change your life. So, I don't ever just preach to preach. I preach for life decisions. And I want you to bow your heads, if you will, and if you're comfortable, close your eyes. And whatever filling the jar means for you right now, Mary was saying, just trust him. Whatever he tells you to do, it's a part of what he's going to do. Whatever filling the jar means in your life this morning, I want to challenge you right now before you leave this church to start filling the jar. What you're doing when you do that is you're laying the need at hand in the hands of Jesus. That's what you're doing. You don't have time to make the wine that's needed in your given situation. But you could fill the jar with water, which is to take a step of faith in the direction of Jesus. Lord, I don't know what different ones of us bring with us today as we gather here for worship, as we gather here to receive your word into our lives. But you knew who would be here this morning. You knew what we would be bringing with us before the world was created. And Lord, you knew that this would be an opportunity for us this morning to trust you with something that is impossible for us to work out. In some cases, it's we don't have time. There's not time for me to pull together the resources that's necessary to meet this need. And, and for others, it's, it's I don't have enough resources to make this come together. It's out of my realm of possibility. Lord, there's all kinds of factors involved, but here we are today at the feet of Jesus after considering this story about his first miracle. And we know that you don't want us just to come and, and ooh and ah about the miracle. You want us to do that for sure, but it's not to end there. It is to, be, it is to serve as the beginning of us trusting you in our own lives with what's happening in our lives right now. It's not a wedding reception we're facing. It's something else, and it's not wine that we need. It's, it's something completely different than that. But, Lord, this story tells us that nothing is beyond your provision. Nothing. So whatever filling the jar with water means for us today, we're doing that. Now, Lord, please come and do in us and for us what we can't do for ourselves.
We trust you. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for knowing already what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not my life to live. It's not my song to sing. All I have is here. All eternity. Bye.